Grief is an intimate personal pain that is often hard to discuss, even years after the loss. For some, grief begins before a loved one passes, as we watch their health deteriorate before our eyes. Hello and welcome to the God Story podcast. I'm Brent Siddle, and our very special guest on the podcast this time is internationally acclaimed recording artist Tori Paris, who's with us to talk about grief and about her new book from Whitaker House in the States called Love is Never Lost, Standing Strong in Faith While Grieving. For Tori, grief grew in waves that hit suddenly and hard after her father's cancer diagnosis. Tori has toured extensively for the past decade, performing her music and teaching at workshops, conferences and universities. She's opened for bands such as Plum, for King and Country, 10th Avenue North, Brit Nickel, Skillet, Sidewalk Profits and more. Tori holds numerous national and international awards and is a voting member of the Gospel Music Association. And I have to add, she's just put out a new album Uh, which you can find on her website, and she'll tell us all about that later. And there's a hit there for sure in the song called Perfect, I reckon, but that's just my humble opinion. Tori, hi, welcome to the show. Hi, thank you so much again for having me. This is an honor. I appreciate it. The honor is mine and a difficult subject, and and bravo to you for, for writing about it in the honest, raw way you do and for doing this interview about it. It can't be easy. Can I ask you as an opening question, I was sitting here thinking, what do I ask Tori to start off with? Do you think it's hard in the modern world to grieve? Do we make grieving difficult? I do think so. I think um, especially now we are so conditioned that whenever someone walks by, especially here in the States, when they walk by and they say, hey, how are you? It's just natural. It's our instinct to say, I'm good. How are you? Right? It's a polite courtesy to back and so often people come up and they say, how are you doing? But do they really mean, how are you actually doing? Do they really want to know and press deeper to find out, you know, what's underneath? And especially in this social media decade, everything seems to be a highlight reel. It's hard, hard for us to just be vulnerable and to say to our friends and even to our family, sometimes, you know, I'm not doing okay today. And so I, I do think it is hard to hard to grieve honestly during this day and age. Mm. Yes, people want you to say yes, I'm all right when you actually feel like saying I'm I'm absolutely miserable. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> now, can we um, go back in the book because it's it's a raw book and you're very honest in what you write. I think. Can I start with your feelings after your dad's cancer diagnosis? Because um, you write that you felt cheated after your dad's cancer diagnosis. Now, in what ways did you feel cheated? You know, the the way this book begins, the very first words of it are, blessed are they that mourn. And I resented that verse because I did not feel blessed. I felt anything but blessed. I felt cheated, just like you said. And that's, for anyone who picks up the book, that's the first two lines of the book is that I did. I felt so cheated because felt like I was being robbed of. I couldn't make time stop. I couldn't make time stand still. I couldn't make time go in reverse, which I would have loved to have made happen. Um, I just felt like I had been robbed of time. You know, as as a child, you have all of these grand dreams of what is going to happen in, in your life. You have all of these big expectations and you feel pretty invincible, right? You almost feel like Superman growing up, like nothing bad can happen. And then when it does, it's such a shock to reality. It's a shock to consciousness that, wait, I'm I'm not guaranteed time. And for 
especially, you know, I had always had these dreams of my dad being here with us and what kind of grandfather my dad was going to be like and wanting to watch him grow old with my mom and sit in the rocking chairs and be that sweet old couple that drank sweet tea. For those of you that don't know what sweet tea is, I'm so sorry. You need to try it. (laughs) But I had all of these. Yes, but I had all of these big dreams and I, I did. I felt cheated that those dreams were taken from me with one six letter word. Did your dad make you feel like Superman? Oh, absolutely. Hmm. Absolutely. I was a daddy's girl through and through. Don't get me wrong. I love my mom, but I was a daddy's girl. And he he always did. He made me feel invincible. And he was such a good father in that he's, he would always encourage me and tell me that I could do anything, that I was capable of anything. And when I didn't have that voice in my life, and when I had to step up and be the strong one, that was... Who was turned? That was a, a very unique experience. He was an attorney, wasn't he? I think a lawyer. Yes, sir. Not... Yeah, both of parents. Oh, both your parents. Gosh, a very legal yes. family. Yes. Okay. Well, he, very he, much. Yes. He did a good job. How did you get? How, where did the music career come from then? In a legal family. Always as a young girl, my grandmother babysat me every day. She had those tape because those um like almost like a Walkman. You would have the cassette player and you could press record. You would record over it and then press play. And she would sit me and teach me hymns and she would have me sing them back to her. And then she would press play and she would record and she would help teach me how to sing as a little girl. And I just fell in love with it. And my parents encouraged that dream and they did everything possible to help me succeed in music and music and worship just came a part of who I am. And so, yeah, that's where the music came from. I remember Walkmans. I remember cassettes. Um, a very wise grandmother you had by the sound of things. How, how <laughs> long is it? I'm just mindful, Tori, this this Zoom line is not good. It keeps cracking up, but I I'm, will send a prayer up and hope it clears itself. We might have to uh, set up another Zoom line, I think, if it, if it doesn't behave itself. But how long is it since your dad passed, can I ask you? You can, yeah. Um, he passed July 10th of 2020. And we're recording this uh, June of 23. So next month, it will be three years. Mm, It's not long, is it? Um, You write, grief is an unrelenting journey without a final destination. Simply put, grief never ends. Time itself stands still and sprints past you in the same breath. There is no such thing as closure or understanding. For those golden treasures are known only to God. It's a beautiful quote which I noted down from the book. In what ways can you tell us, has grief been unrelenting for you? And have you now, three years later, achieved any measure of closure? Grief for me is more, explain this, it's less of a finality. It's more of a transition from the person that I used to be to the person that I am now. And there's a large portion of where I talk about how you integrate that grief into your life. Um, It's never going to be something that I quote unquote, get over, right? Because you don't get over lose. They were a part of who you are. And so for me, it's been more of integrating my father's loss into the different aspects of our life. And every season carries new challenges with it. Uh, The first year that we didn't have my dad, it was a year of firsts, right? We had the first Thanksgiving, the first Christmas, the first Easter, 
the, the first birthday of his that he wasn't here. So that entire year was a, a whirlwind of firsts. But then as we got into the second year, it was more of, okay, how do we establish a new normal? What does that look like for our family? What does a new a new normal Christmas, what do our traditions become? How do things change? And we were seeing into, into this year. And, you know, my brother has recently had two little ones and all over again, we're telling them the stories of their pops and we want them to know who he is. And it's every single day where we're integrating that more and more into our life and seeing how, seeing how things change. And, Fir- you know, that's part of life, though, is it always changes. Mm. The first anniversary is particularly difficult. I can relate to yeah. that. My dad passed 10 years ago also of cancer. And I've subsequently had cancer myself, so I can absolutely relate to where you're coming from. How do we learn, or can we ever learn to accept the reality of grief, do you think? I think that we have to. I think we have to accept that it's a part of life. It's a it's a part of the way that God designed it. But for us being Christians, grief is so different because we don't grieve like the rest of the world. We we have hope. We have the hope of heaven. We have the hope of Christ. We have the hope that we find in the redemption of the cross, the hope and and joy that we're going to see them again one day. I mentioned my grandmother earlier. She used to always say heaven gets sweeter and sweeter every day. Mm. And I never understood what my meemaw meant by that. But now that I'm getting older and my my grandmother has gone on to be with Jesus, my dad is there, a few of my aunts have passed and they are there, I, I firm, firmly understand what she meant, that heaven is sweeter and sweeter every day. And the reality of heaven gives us much more joy every day. Isn't it beautiful that we don't, we don't have to grieve like the rest of the world, that we get to grieve with the hope of Jesus? I totally agree. Um, at my father's funeral, uh, it was the hope of the resurrection that I asked the pastor to preach on, and he did. And wow. I think some members of the family were a bit sort of surprised. But for me, it was the thing that I held on to, because I kept saying to people, "We, w- I will see him again. And I think it's absolutely, you're absolutely right. It was that hope of the resurrection and hope of heaven that Stop me from complete despair. I think after dad uh, after dad passed. Do you think absolutely? That, oh, absolutely. Yeah, for sure. Do you think being able to turn your grief into music has helped you deal with the grieving process? I do. I think it's really healthy to be able to put grief into you. You know, I'm I'm by no means a therapist, but I can say from my personal life, it has being able to put words to it, being able to put and then. You know, music is so beautiful in that it creates emotion in us that no other thing can. It's a way for us to express that. But even even through painting, through writing, I mean, exhibit A, right? Writing this book, um, being able to channel all of those emotions and those feelings into a creative outlet, get it out into the open, to get it out into the real world, into something tangible, that was very cathartic for me. That was very helpful for me to be able to put my my thoughts down. And I think there's something so special about when we write things down. There's something so special in being able to look back at that and seeing where you've come from and what God was speaking to you in that moment too. 
Yes, I mean, I'd never thought of, of keeping a journal. And, and one of the points I took from your book in the grieving process was was this the fact the book began as your personal journal, didn't it? So that's how it started, and it reads that way, with you looking back at, at, your, at your earlier self. So why do, why do you think it is important to keep a journal? I, I love the idea of it, and I've kept a prayer journal ever since I was in middle school. I started... I started back then and I would write down these prayers, honestly, sometimes when I was bored at school <laughs> and I would just start. You got bored writing. at school? You got, I mean, you got bored at school? None of us ever gets bored at school, do they? Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> A little, but I would, I would sit and write down these prayers and just, I thought it was going to be really powerful one day to go back and read them and see if God answered them or not. And I can say time and time again, I have seen where God answered prayers in a way I wouldn't have expected. And then there are some prayers from my journal. I'm very thankful he didn't answer in the long run. <laughs> but the children of Israel, you know, they built altars to the Lord time and time again when he had done something uh, to prove to them that he was God, right? They would build an altar at a well or they would build an altar in the desert where he provided and being able to go back to my prayer journal, to those entries it was almost that same kind of thing. It was reminiscent. I could say, here is where God provided for me. Here is where God healed my heart. Here is where God made a way where there didn't seem to be a way, but his way was bigger, right? I can go back and actually see how time and time again, he proved himself faithful. Mm, that's, and that's important too, isn't it? So many things I, I want to ask you. Let's come back to the circumstances because it, this all happened just before or during the COVID, the COVID shutdown, didn't it, of 2020s? And you describe yeah. in the book having to make, or not being able to make journeys for appointments in some ways, and um, all the difficulties of of that whole period with the lockdowns. In what ways was the shutdown, though, a disguised blessing for you and your family, do you think? Because it was a blessing that came out of it, wasn't there? Oh, yes. And we did not expect it. We didn't see, <laughs> we did not see the blessing in it to begin with. But at the time, a professor at Jacksonville State University, and I was teaching a full course load. I was also taking my law school classes at night. So I was teaching during the day, going to school at night, going to school on Saturdays, trying to get finished up. My my husband is in the Christian music industry. And at that time, he was touring uh, full time with David Crowder, if you are familiar with Crowder Band. So he was out on the road with with the Crowders uh, about six months accumulatively out of the year. And it when the shutdown hit, it gave us the opportunity to move in with my parents with no strings attached. We could. And that's what we did. We loaded our duffel bags. We loaded our truck. We locked our our door at our house and we went to be with my parents so that we could care of my dad. And it honestly was a huge blessing to us. And my sister-in-law, she was able to do the same thing. She was able to come and, and stay and help. And it was all hands on deck. Everyone was there to care for dad because that's what was needed. And in that crisp moment, we were able to do it with no hindrance. We didn't have to ask for time off. We didn't have to get permission from someone. The rest of the world had stopped, but... At the same time, our personal world had stopped and it just lined up. Yes, uh, it was extraordinary. How did you personally feel when your dad, because you describe this in the book, your dad deciding that he didn't want chemo 
Uh, and I think the chemo yeah. would have given a little bit longer, but not much, really. How did you? Mm-hmm. How did you personally feel when when your dad decided he didn't want he didn't want chemo? That was that was a hard day in our family. Um, I think my I think mine particularly uh, a little more difficult than the rest of us. It was harder for her to wrap her mind around because she was in fight mode. She was coming out. Uh, you know, tackling hell with a water gun. She was ready. And she <laughs> she did not want to throw in the towel. But it's like you said, the doctors had told us, even if he does this insanely difficult chemotherapy regimen, we might be looking at an additional couple of weeks. It wasn't a lot of time. And that was his choice to make. It was his decision to make. And at the end of the day, we had to resolve ourselves that it was his decision and we had to stand by it. And that was that was a hard day. But, hey, I admire his bravery in being able to do that. I yes. do. I mean, your dad comes across in the book as a, a very brave man and he was in a lot of pain at the end. But he just, he, from what you described, he just kept going, didn't he? It was remarkable. He did. What, yeah. Yes, yeah, remarkable. At what point did you reach the anger state of grief, do you think? Ooh, um, for us, we went through, researched this in writing the book because I felt like grief for us hit before we ever lost him. Mm. Um, it was more of an anticipatory grief because we knew what was coming. We just didn't know what day it would happen. And so for me, the anger stage hit a few weeks before we actually lost my dad. I, I was so angry at God. There's, there's a passage in the book where I talk about it. I ran out into this field, this meadow that's on our property, and I just began yelling at him. And maybe you are a better person than me. Maybe you have not had a yelling at God experience. <laughs> oh, yeah. Okay, I see your head nodding. Yes, um, very much so. Yes, I think I think he likes to be yelled at from time to time. I don't think he minds. He's a, he's a big guy. He can handle it, For sure. right? For sure. Um, but I did experience where I was in the middle of the mess and I just started screaming at God because I was so angry. I didn't know what else to do. And the longer I screamed, more shouts turned into praise. And I know that sounds wild, but that's exactly what happened. I had to, in my mind, get from this place of anger to a place of adoration. Because at the end of the day, he is God and I am not. He is sovereign and he to ask my opinion. He is just, he is perfect in all of his ways. And I'm his child. And as the child, I have to be disciplined to say, Father, let your will be done. I mean, if Jesus knew the cross was before him and Jesus knew all that was to happen and he could still say, thy will be done, then how audacious is it for us not to, in our own suffering say, God, let your will be done. And that's the point I from. But going back to the heart of your question, for me, that anger stayed hit long before we ever, ever lost him. Yes, yes. You you write actually that it's it's possible to mourn the loss of someone who's very much alive, and I guess that's what you're yeah. describing, isn't it? Yeah, as you watch them go, uh, as you watch the health declining. There's a very very special moment in in the book where it's your dad's last day on earth, really, and you'd pray to God that your dad would live to see a birthday, and something really special happened. Can you relate that to us, please? 
I can. Um, Beautiful story. And it, it is it is beautiful looking back now. I can tell you in the moment it didn't feel beautiful, but when I looked back on it, even a month later, I started to see how honoring the, the prayer that I had asked. Back when my dad was first diagnosed, I you'll find this out reading the book. My brother is is a physician. So I called him and I was asking him, you know, what is our timeline? Because I'm type A, I like to be in control. I want to know when things are happening. And so I called him saying, what does our timeline look like? I need to know. And he said, Tori, I will be surprised if dad is here for your birthday. And my birthday was only a couple of months away. And so when I was praying that afternoon, for some reason, that was my prayer is God, please let my dad be here for my birthday because I'm not ready to face one without him yet. And I prayed that prayer one time. Thousands of times, on the other hand, I prayed, God, would you please heal my dad? Would you please give us a miracle? My daddy does not deserve this. Lord, would you heal him? And I prayed it hundreds, if not thousands of times during the span of his illness. And for some reason, God chose to answer one and the others. And I never understand why he did that. But the morning of my 20th birthday, we were all in the room together with my dad and 12.03 that morning, my dad took his last breath. Somebody in the room, I don't remember who, said, happy birthday, Tori. I know this isn't the birthday that you wanted. I leaned down to whisper to him that he made it to my birthday. Mm. And with that, he took his last breath. Mm. And I, I will never be able to understand why God chose to honor one prayer and not the others, but said earlier, he is God and I'm not. And now I see um, so much beauty in that gift because it was the most spectacular birthday present that you could give anybody. Mm, he yes, fought to be special. there for it. Yeah, absolutely. Very special yeah. indeed. We're just about at the end of our time. Uh, three years on, Tori, you've got your first album out. Where are you at now? I am I'm an attorney now. Um, I have finished law Okay, so you, ca you carried on with the law. Okay, so there, there you go. So you're I a musician did. and a lawyer together. Yeah. I am. Yes, sir. Uh, and a lot of people have asked me, how did you make the transition from ministry into being an attorney, being a lawyer? And it's so beautiful to me in that whenever we step into a courtroom, oftentimes we are addressed as counselor, right? Our judge will say, counselors, can you approach the bench? Counselors, are you ready? And I had never had the realization of all that God was. And I, th I don't think we will ever understand every facet of his personality, but you know how at Christmas you always hear the wonderful counselor, right? You hear that in all of our Christmas carols. It never clicked with me until I was in the courtroom one day and the judges said, counselors, are you ready? Our judge looked straight at me and I didn't answer because all of a sudden I had this picture of the throne room where Christ was our counselor. And I can think of no better way of doing ministry than interceding on others' behalfs. So. Yes. Oh, your dad would have been proud of you. I hadn't realized you you obviously had, had done the legal career as well as the music career. Gosh, you must have been carrying a, a, a workload to do that. But there you <laughs> are. Your, your dad would be proud of you, you see. Thank there we you are. so much. Oh, that's wonderful. That's a wonderful thing to find out. There we are. So, um, Tori Paris, now the new, where can people find you? Where can people find the new album? Where can people hear it? 
Yeah, they can find the albums on iTunes, on Spotify, on all of the music forms. Um, and then my book is being sold worldwide. So it's available on Amazon. You can get it pretty quick there, but they don't release until June the 13th. So it's coming up pretty soon. Yeah. We'll be past June the 13th by the time this interview drops. Tori Paris, <laughs> the, the, the new book, yeah, things work slowly in New Zealand. Uh, the new book from Whitaker House in the States is called Lovers Never Lost, Standing Strong in Faith While Grieving. Tori, thank you so much for your time. And um, apologies to folk for the slightly dodgy Zoom line. Uh, I think we got most of it. Um, Zoom is great when it works, but um, there are some days when it's just problematic, and today was one of them. It's a shame. But anyway, there it is. And thanks to our creative team at Liquid Edge who sponsor this podcast and to take care of things behind the scenes. Tori, thank you so much. Thank you. It has been, it's been lovely. It's been an honor. I appreciate it so much. We really hope you've enjoyed this episode of the God Story Podcast. If you want to help us make more great episodes like this one, you can head over to our Patreon page and become a God Story Podcast supporter. You'll receive our undying gratitude, plus a few bonus goodies for your ongoing support. Just visit patreon.com slash godstorypodcast. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash godstorypodcast. As always, you can get in touch with us via our website, godstorypodcast.com.